Hello and welcome to the University Guy podcast with me, David Hawkins. In this episode, I'm looking at a topic to do with UK universities. For many students, both in the UK and internationally, and also the parents and counsellors, the process by which UK universities make admissions decisions can seem unclear. Understanding how a British university takes an application that arrives from UCAS, or perhaps another source, and then work it through into giving offers of admission or rejection back to a student, is an important part of this process. In order to get full insight into this, there really was only one person who I wanted to speak with. So today I'm chatting with Paul Chulon. Paul, thank you for your time. Thanks, David. So, Paul, do you mind introducing yourself and a little bit of your biography? Sure. So my name is Paul Chulon. I'm the Director of Admissions and Registry Services at King's College London. I've worked in the higher education sector for uh, around 17 uh, years now. Um, having originally graduated from Cambridge uh, in, in economics, uh, I stayed on to work for their university uh, in the admissions office before then being turned to the dark side uh, and the University of Oxford, uh, where I worked for a further eight years. Uh, during that time, I actually was working uh, much more in the area of student recruitment, both in the UK, Europe and internationally, um, and also in widening participation. So encouraging students from non-traditional backgrounds to aspire to the world's best universities. And certainly that was my uh, journey to university uh, myself. Um, about seven years ago, I joined uh, King's College London, uh, which is uh, a university right at the very centre of London, uh, offering a wide range of disciplines, uh, everything from medicine, dentistry, uh, the arts, humanities, social science, uh, and indeed uh, our famous Dixon Poon School of Law. Um, we have around 30,000 students studying with us at any one time, uh, and we recruit at undergraduate level around about 5,500 students a year, of which typically uh, around about 1,200 of them would be uh, international fee payers, uh, and then probably around about another 1,000 would be uh, EU students. So a, a really vibrant university with a diverse mix uh, of students. Great. And, and so the purpose of you and I having a chat today is to try and shed some light on sometimes the um, mystical process by which a university receives an application and at some point later decisions are made. So just to, to start off on the kind of process side of this, Paul, you know, a student submits their application through their school to UCAS and then at some point it lands in your system at King's London. What happens next? Sure. So I guess for UK universities, there, there are a, a number of different ways at which a, a, an application uh, might arrive at, at the admissions office and, and we'll certainly talk predominantly about the UCAS route. Um, obviously, some universities do allow students to apply direct uh, to them uh, at undergraduate level. Um, some universities at undergraduate level are using agents uh, through which uh, students apply. Um, and indeed, some students will already be within their university system, having uh, maybe taken uh, and completed a foundation programme. And then there are a limited number of, of universities who are uh, trialling and using uh, the Common App American system. But by far the most uh, popular, uh, perhaps simplest and most routine way um, is applying through uh, UCAS. 
Um, obviously, applications come through two routes. Um, so we have a number of students who will be applying directly as, as individuals. Um, and then we'll have large numbers who are applying uh, through a UCAS centre uh, to the university. So obviously, the, the application gets completed in school um, and then it wends its way over to UCAS, which is based in the uh, very pretty town of Cheltenham. Uh, in England. Uh, and, and there it will often take somewhere between uh, 24 and 48 hours, uh, where UCAS are performing a number of verification uh, checks, etc., to make sure that the application is, is, uh, you know, is complete, is credible, um, etc. So one thing to note is uh, particularly at key deadlines, such as the 15th of October and the 15th of January, um, actually there can be a little bit of a delay um, not much, but between it arrive, uh, leaving the school and arriving uh, with the universities. And, and obviously, we're doing often overnight processes. So sometimes students uh, panic because uh, they sent the application, but it's not yet with the un university. So what happens uh, in terms of the next step? Well, for many universities now, uh, we have some form of admissions portal. Uh, and in King's case, this is a thing called King's Apply. And, and basically what this is, is a communication tool um, so that we can talk um, directly um, to, the, to the student. Um, and, um, you know, some universities will still use plain old email, but most universities will send students uh, a logon detail um, to uh, their, their portal. It's really important that students look out for these emails uh, and particularly directly after having submitted a UCAS application that they check their spam uh, folders to make sure that the login hasn't unfortunately fallen into that trap and is hidden there. Because it, it could well be that the student applying to five different universities through UCAS will have five of these logins, one for each of the university. Uh, and it's really important um, that, the, that they keep a track of what the university may be asking or telling them at different times. Now, normally when uh, there's a sort of change in status or a university wants to ask a question, they'll also get an email prompt as well. Um, but it's really important to keep on top, particularly with your best choices, the ones you're most keen on, um, but also perhaps those backup choices as well to make sure that you're doing everything that's being uh, required of that. So we sent some details to the student to help them enter into that communication dialogue. So the next thing that will happen is the, the application is, is, is with the with the university uh, and is, you know, most universities are using a computer system. So we will have a team of staff with the application uh, on screen uh, in front of them. So I guess the first uh, question is sort of what are the different hurdles that might the application might go through? And I guess the first one is um, the first check we will often do. And these can be done in slightly different orders. Um, but at some point, there's definitely going to be a completeness check. So have we got all of the information and indeed proof of uh, qualifications, etc., that we need to make uh, an offer? So often when an application comes in, um, there might be a sort of a viability check done. So, um, for example, if the student is predicted three C's um, and the course requires three A's, uh, in some ways, there's probably not much point doing the viability. There's not much point doing all of the additional checks if actually, actually the applicant, uh, the application is, isn't viable. So 
These can on that be done. Call, would that be? I'm sorry. Would that be a, a human check or a computer check? Just so it might be a, a mixture. Um, it depends on 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 the nature of it. So, um, for example, if there's a field that's left blank. Um, which is possible on the UCAS system for certain fields, but that we need it. Um, it might be that the, the computer will identify that and say, uh, we need to check that. Um, other examples might be um, if the student is particularly young, perhaps particularly if they're under the age of 16, there might be an additional process to make sure that we have the parental consent for the student making the application, etc. It could be that we are unclear from the documentation given um, that the student uh, is either home, EU or international fees. Um, and it also could be something uh, such as English language proficiency. So the student has self-declared that they've met the English language requirements, but perhaps we would like proof um, through, the, through a, a PDF being sent into the university to make sure um, that they have achieved the grades that, that they've said they've, they've achieved. And particularly for in, um, independent applicants, um, quite often we have references um, that are perhaps using a, a Google email address. And, and normally we'd be looking for one um, from someone who's got um, an email address associated uh, with an academic uh, institution, you know, wherever possible. So what I'd say is there's a kind of a range of healthcare checks that we do to make sure that the application is complete and that we've got all of the documentation uh, required. Right, so in that then, you, you know, the application's alive, it's good to go. I think that the next bit is the bit that is sometimes confusing, particularly for, for those people around the world who are used to dealing maybe with an American admission system. Um, and obviously I've had the, the privilege of sitting in the offices for King's Admissions and, and seeing kind of people processing this. Um, once it gets through that stage then, that yes, this is a viable application, we've got all the, all the paperwork, what is the next step then when people actually start considering the merits of the application? So, so then we start thinking about, um, for most courses, it, it, it's about the academic merits um, uh, of, of the application. And we'll be looking at a for a range of information. Um, obviously, one of the most important ones is the predicted grades. Uh, and so one of the things that can be uh, missing, um, particularly if students are, are maybe just joined a course, if they're doing a one year access to HE course, Often um, academics uh, in colleges are, are not keen to, uh, to provide predicted grades within the first month of the student starting the course, and they, and they might ask to update that later. But particularly with um, counsellors, often in American curriculum, um, it may be that they are unfamiliar with providing predicted grades and universities will want to see them. You know, this is their best educated guess as to what students from previous years akin to the student in hand um, might be able to, to go on and do. So we'll be looking for predicted grades. Um, it may be in certain uh, circumstances we're looking to see how students have done in the two years prior to their sort of final two years at school. So this might often be um, maybe their MYP grades um, or on the IB or obviously GCSEs and IGCSEs. Um, and what we'll be doing uh, is performing uh, checks to look at the uh, academic standing of this individual. And I think here I'd like to draw it into three distinct groups because I think that would be would be helpful. Um, firstly, I would uh, draw it into the first group being where um, 
application numbers and uh, and the demand for places are broadly in equilibrium. Uh, and so we would describe that as a as, as, a, as a non-competitive program. Now, the students are still going to need to meet some very high grade requirements, but effectively application supply and demand is in equal level. Uh, the second group is, is the opposite. Uh, where effectively the number of applications is, is exceeding, and in, in many cases far exceeding, uh, the, the, the number of places and offers. And so there is going to be a level of selection uh, in the admissions office. And the third group, I would say, is those programmes for which uh, an interview is required, um, either for the academic programme, uh, in the examples of, of universities like Oxford or Cambridge, or more often um, because it's a healthcare programme, um, such as uh, medicine and dentistry, nursing, etc. So those are the three groups I think it would be helpful to talk through. Yeah, so if we go through the, I, mean, the, I think the, obviously the most obvious one is where there are X number of spaces and the number of applicants is, is almost equal to X. How does that process work? Yeah, so I guess the key thing is it, it's not quite as simple as the number of applications is equal to number of places, because, of course, not all students will end up picking um, any of the university that they've applied to because they've got five choices on the UCAS form and indeed might be applying um, to other countries as well. So at the start of the cycle, um, what we will be doing is looking at historic data to um, set up what I call my offer target. So how many offers do I think I need to make in order to fill that course with students of the quality that I'd like to see on it? And there will be programmes where the number of applications and the number of offers uh, I'm targeting to make are in equilibrium. And here, in, most, in, most, in those, in those uh, courses, what I'm looking for in the application is do they or do they have the potential to meet the offer that we uh, would make them? So our course might require 35 and uh, IB points and 665 on the higher levels. And if a student's predicted to meet those grades and it's on one of these courses, they are very likely to get made an offer. However, we just need to review the application um, to make sure that the personal show statement is in line with what we'd expect. But I'm not necessarily, you know, fine uh, tooth combing through it to make sure it's an outstanding personal statement. It just needs to be broadly focused on the, on the subject area, have no cause for concerns. We would check the reference uh, because sometimes we might learn about things in the reference, which would be uh, of note. But broadly, these students are going to get uh, an offer. Uh, and I know this you know, might come as, as, as a shock. Um, and the challenge is that students will be applying to their five choices uh, and they're going to probably therefore have in their mix somewhere it's going to be really competitive for them to get in and others where they're going to be applying uh, where it's in broad equilibrium. So they still need to work on that personal statement because they will have a mix within their five. But for me on the university side, Everything's in equilibrium. The student's predicted to do well or indeed has achieved already and done well. And we're going to get an offer um, out to them as soon as as soon as we can. Uh, and every university will have these courses pretty much. Um, uh, and some course and um, some universities will have uh, will have uh, more more than others. OK. And on that that process there, when you're talking about sort of the, the offer level that you're looking for, 
I, I'm assuming that that discussion as to where that should be set is not solely in your purview. It's done alongside program directors of particular degree courses who who may need some some careful handholding as you you come sort of to that process of making a, a decision as to where the level is. But they're the ones who are kind of saying, no, this is what we need to see for students to be successful on our course. Yeah, so I, I would think um, that it's a, a mixture. Um, academics are, are pragmatic as well, so they need to know the students will succeed. Um, but we also know that there's a there's a market in place a, a, as well. So it's about trying to balance those two things, um, you know, very carefully. And, and obviously, we're looking uh, in the public domain, uh, other universities and their university prospectuses to see what uh, other universities are suggesting is is the is the level as well. But yes, um, every year there's an annual review of all of our entry requirements to make sure um, that uh, that they are are appropriate, and that's done in conjunction between the admissions tutor um, uh, and um, and staff in the in the admissions uh, office, uh, and we aim to change those um, where we can so that they are certainly in the online prospectus. Um, prior to the 1st of September, where everyone starts applying. Um, but ideally, you get it into the paper one um, if you can. Right. And just for the sake of clarity for people who might be coming to this completely new, when you say an admissions tutor, what you are meaning is someone who's, you know, whose primary job is to be an academic at the university. So they may, say, be a physics professor who's teaching, doing research, and who has been seconded to have a, an admissions role for a couple of years. That, that's right. So an admissions tutor would be a full-time uh, academic, researcher, teacher, lecturer, uh, and will often have been given, a bit like in schools, where maybe uh, if you've taken on responsibilities for sports, um, you don't have to teach quite as much. They will normally have been given a small uh, element of their week um, handed over to, to assisting with the admissions process. Right. And obviously, the process at King's is, is a relatively centralised one. Um, and at other universities, actually, that admissions tutor may end up having a much bigger role in terms of reading applications and making final decisions than is, is necessarily the case in your system. Yeah, I, I think that the 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 the, uh, the dominant method for for applications now is the centralised admissions office. I think that I can think of perhaps four or five universities in the country that have a very decentralised uh, method, and, and that doesn't mean that either is right or wrong. Um, but I've, I have a very simple mantra on this. Um, I would rather that my admissions tutor's time is precious. Um, uh, he or she is a leading researcher, an amazing teacher, uh, and I would rather that he or she spends 10 minutes reading the one application that needs uh, attention rather, you know, rather than 30 seconds looking at 19 applications that actually um, we can deal with very well in the office. Uh, we have the protocols in place to, to know uh, who we're selecting. Um, and, and obviously, with the, with the courses we talked about in section one, the sort of non-competitive group, um, or you know where the entry requirements are being the selection tool, um, actually, that there's not a huge amount uh, of selection needed, and, and, and therefore, um, you know, uh, the value would, would be lower in that case. So let's talk about your other two groups then, where I guess it's a little bit more complicated. That's right. So the second group is, is uh, you know, uh, where we have uh, more applications than the number of offers that I'm planning to make. 
Um, and this would be very common in areas such as, uh, you know, law, uh, business, psychology, economics, um, you know, areas like computer science are growing uh, hugely at the moment. And at the moment, so we have more people uh, applying uh, than we can make offers to. If I made offers to everyone who was of a good standard, uh, then unfortunately we have people sitting in the aisles and the lecture theatre, and, and that's not a good uh, student experience. So You'd be having here, a boat on the Thames to put everyone off in. Indeed, indeed. So here what we're trying to do is we're looking at a, a range of, of criteria. So um, and, and things that universities will tend to look at might be, uh, you know, as follows. So um, sort of going chronologically, the first thing we may do is look at uh, performance at GCSE or equivalent level. Um, and when we do this, we are, we, you know, we, it, it's not a problem if students haven't got GCSEs. Effectively, I siphon them off into two separate groups. One group with GCSEs or equivalent and one without. So it's a fair system, um, but it's very hard to ignore very rich data on how well the student has done. Uh, remembering most students will be applying with predicted grades for their high school leaving qualifications. Actually, this is something that a student has gone out and done for themselves without any other influence and has achieved. Um, so we might look back at GCSE performance um, and universities will have different metrics to see how they might score those up, which could be a, an average point score. It could be the number of A's, the number of A's and A stars. Um, there are a number of different ways of doing it, but some kind of scoring in terms of the achievement at that level. The next area that, might, that universities might look at is how well the student is predicted to have done or have done at their um, high school leaving qualification. So uh, in this respect, uh, one thing we do need to, to note is that uh, on average, students don't do well uh, as they're predicted. Um, so I do need to note if a student has already completed the high school leaving qualifications, that if they've done well in that, um, that actually that is cast iron on paper. So, so we'll look at those, uh, those scores. Um, but we'll also look at the predicted grades. Um, and universities will have normally have some kind of scoring mechanism uh, for this as to how well um, have they done in, in this space. So someone who is exceeding significantly um, the required levels may get some kind of, uh, of, of uh, boost in the scoring system uh, for this. The next element that might be scored um, would be um, any admissions test that's been completed. Um, so obviously the major ones are things like the LNAP for law, um, the UK CAT and the BMAP for, uh, for medicine and dentistry. Uh, and quite commonly uh, and in different ways, these are given some kind of scoring um, system that goes uh, into, uh, into the, the, the mix. Um, uh, and then the final element that might be sort of scored or ranked um, is the personal statement. Um, now, obviously, the challenges are here is that different students will have had different levels of support around writing that personal statement. Um, but, you know, in, 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 in some areas, particularly areas like economics, business management, where we have large numbers of in, international students, there is no admissions test. There is no GCSE data. So 
unless you use the personal statement in some kind of scored method, in effect, the only thing you have is a set of predicted grades, which may or may not be accurate. And, and ideally, what you'd want to do is, is twin point reference why you're doing a selection. So um, in this case, personal statements will be will be read. Uh, there'll be a criteria that the admissions office is using, which might be, uh, you know, the examples they're using, the quality of their writing. You know, there's different ways in which it can be done. But some kind of score will be placed upon uh, upon their personal statement. So depending on the program, you may, may now have for different students uh, one, two, three different bits of, of metric. Um, and then universities will be uh, potentially combining those together um, and, and, and helping develop some uh, kind of, of ranking. Um, I would say universities do this in different ways. Some one, some, so some universities may do this in a completely holistic way with someone reading the whole application end to end and placing a value out of 10 on it. So there are different ways of doing it. But ultimately, you, you need to, in these cases, divide your students into some kind of ranking, you know, from students with the greatest potential uh, and achievement record and those who are slightly uh, weaker. What you'll tend to then find, so what happens next with those groups of students? Well, these ones, it, it may take a little bit longer for the students to have a result. If you imagine um, all of the students sitting on, on a normal distribution curve, um, the weakest ones, if they come in and they're scored weakly, as in uh, poorly, um, then they may well get a, re a rejection quite quickly. Um, if uh, they've done very well, then they'll get that offer again probably quite quickly. But as you can imagine, um, with application quality and numbers varying year on year, um, I'm moving in from either end towards that group where they might do, they might not, depending on that year. So. If last year the score to get an offer was, say, 13, um, I'm probably not going to be making any offers to people who've got 12 and 14 this year until we get very late in the process. But students below that and above that will move through the process quite quickly and receive their either offer um, or rejection. Yeah, well, that's a question I hear a lot with some of the families I work with. Is, oh, we've heard there's an advantage to applying early. And I said, well... You know, there are advantages in terms of you you may hear back quickly either way and it's obviously helps you focus on other aspects of what you're doing at school but as, as you just described you have a sense of, of what the criterion would be and that's going to apply potentially throughout the process yeah so i think um, there are certainly advantages uh, in terms of applying away from the deadlines um we'll receive something like ten thousand applications in the three days before the january deadline so the, the numbers are, if you apply four days before that deadline it, and they're all in a stack, you are now 10,000 places further up the queue uh, before we get to your application. So there are some practicalities there. Um, there is something um, that because of the nature of, of, of the courses and some of the universities with earlier deadlines, um, uh, that um, on average, better quality students apply earlier. And therefore, this maths tells you that students who apply earlier are more likely to get offers, but it's because the quality of the applicant on average is higher. That's exactly what I say, yeah. yeah. If, you, if, you're, if, you, if you get an application that comes in on October the 13th, you know it's going to be a high quality applicant because they're applying to Kings as well as some very other 
yeah, highly regarded competitive course. Absolutely. Um, but also, if someone applies on the 13th of October with three Cs, they're going to get a rejection uh, then uh, as much as they would do on, on the 15th of, of January. So, so that's the second group. So just to summarise, um, it will be coming into the, the university, uh, doing the health checks, some kind of scoring ranking system uh, will be applied, and then we'll be seeing, based on last year's data at that stage, are they due an offer? And as we go through the cycle and we have a greater level of clarity over volumes and quality, uh, we'll be uh, making those, those, those final uh, offers. So then we have the, we have the third group, uh, which is uh, students who uh, are going to need some kind of interview. Um, now, effectively, these students also go through that second method um, in terms of ranking, but we're, there we're not ranking for an offer, um, we're ranking to decide whether to invite to interview. Um, so uh, we'll do that. We'll do that ranking method. That will then lead to an invitation uh, to an interview, um, uh, and uh, then obviously the interview process will take place. Um, interviews uh, then are led primarily by the academic community. Um, and there are different forms of interviews, and no doubt uh, you'll have another great podcast on uh, forms of interviews and how that works through. Um, but students will come to the interviews, um, and the interviews um, will be scored. Uh, you know, often if it's a multi-mini interview, each station will be scored individually, uh, and the results of that will be uh, will be noted. So once the interview day is over and the students return back to uh, to their school. Um, we'll then be looking at those results. Again here, different universities might do things in slightly different ways. So some universities will compare and uh, the score given to them pre-interview with the score at interview to give them a new overall score. Uh, and other universities will say, well, we've already done the academic scoring to know that they're good enough academically so how did they do on the interview? Um, but effectively, either way, a, a new score is applied to that student uh, and placed on that file. And again, we'll then be ranking all the candidates um, to see how well um, that, they, uh, that they have uh, performed. And particularly in these programmes, because often either through some government cap um, or because of physical space constraints, um, important that we make the right number of offers on some of these programmes. Um, King's is the uh, largest dental teaching school uh, in the UK, about 50% of all dentists in the UK trained at King's College London. Um, but dentists need a chair uh, and they need patients. Uh, so it's really important that we get exactly or as close to it as we can the right number of dentists. So here in terms of offer making, student might experience something slightly unusual. Um, effectively, we will be sending out offers uh, for medicine and dentistry from January through to, to the end of March. Uh, but at that point uh, at King's, we then take a pause um, and I pause to let some of those students decide whether King's is their firm option or another university and try and get some of the trend data for this current year. 
um, before making a final group of offers and rejections um, in the first week in May, um, just before the UK, uh, the, the UCAS response deadline. Um, this is not me being cruel and unusual to the students, um, but I need to feather the number of offers very gently to make sure we get exact, exactly the right number of offers, the right number of firms, and therefore the right number of well-qualified um, doctors and dentists at, the, at that stage. So that process can take uh, you know, a, a longer period. And I think when you've got students in a classroom, uh, one applying for English, uh, they apply on the 12th of October, uh, and by perhaps, uh, you know, um, uh, well, certainly early January, but perhaps even uh, by early November, they have all of their five offers lined up. Um, and your medic um, is still waiting for an interview uh, in January at any of their choices. Um, in March, they've got a couple of offers and a couple of rejections and one no decision. And it's only by May that they actually get all five of their results back. So the speed at which things are, are done are appropriate for those programmes, um, but it can seem a little bit tough if you're the medic, you know, on the receiving end. I guess that's obviously very countercultural if we're used to a US model where there is a, a day on which decisions are released, regardless of what kind of, you know, even if you are applying into a particular major, what you might have specified. And I think, I think yeah, the way you've talked that through, Paul, is, really helps people understand that. Uh, can I just ask then on, on that kind of the process whereby a decision is made through a scoring system with or without the involvement of academics and interviews, in my head, what I'm then thinking is, well, you are then given, say, a ranking of students from, say, one to 100 in terms of the order of which they've performed on that score. The decision then is left, left to you and your team as to, depending on the numbers and, and the trends of that cycle, how far down that list you would go. That's absolutely right. So you're trying to work on, on that bell curve where, where, that, where, where this year will be the cutoff line. Um, and of course, the, the really hard thing um, is that uh, there'll be, you know, large numbers of, of very similarly qualified uh, and, and quite, you know, similar numbers of students on either side of, of, that, of, that, of that line. Um, so that makes it, um, you know, that makes it quite challenging. Great. And I think confirmation and near misses and things is a subject for another podcast. But, but just to kind of finish off, I would like to to touch on something which I know Kings has sort of have pioneered in recent years, and that's the idea of the alternate offer. Um, do, you, do you mind sort of just touching a little bit on how a student who might have applied for, say, management might actually be then offered a place on a slightly different course? Sure, ab absolutely. Um, so obviously, uh, um, where you've got areas where you've got um, uh, a good number uh, of very well qualified students, sometimes even above the uh, the, the grades that you uh, state in your in your prospectus, um, you have two options. Um, number one is to simply reject them because they weren't quite good enough relative to the other applicants. Uh, and the other option is to to make them an, an alternative offer. And just to be clear, this can happen at two stages during during the process. So that the first stage it can happen uh, is during the offer stage. Uh, and the other stage at which it can happen is um, during confirmation. But I think we'll concentrate on the one um, during, uh, during the offer stage. So uh, when we're reading an application, uh, and I already know that that program is uh, probably going to be, well, it's definitely going to fill uh, and fill with students of great quality. Um, I know that the student uh, is uh, interested in the course, but also King's as an institution. Um, and I feel uh, that there's a duty on myself and, and my team um, to try and help them fulfill that ambition. 
I also know that it's hard to know about all of the 150 programs that we have on offer at King's, let alone the 50,000 uh, available on UCAS. Um, and so it may be that we have a course that might be even better suited or an alternative um, that we can provide to, to, to the student. Um, so some some uh, good examples might might be uh, we uh, at King's um, have a course called Global Health and Social uh, Medicine. Uh, we're the only university pretty much in the country to offer it. It's an amazing course, um, you know, designed for people who want to uh, perhaps work in the third sector, have an interest in health care and, and the health of the world, um, but don't want to become a clinician. Uh, and it may be that uh, a programme like that might be suitable to a whole range of students who've got uh, in their personal statement um, talking about that kind of, of background um, it may be that uh, the international development degree um, is full that year, um, but the student is studying high level geography. Um, they've done their um, extended essay on a, ge a geography project. And it may be then that we make them an alternative offer for that other program. So what my staff will do routinely on those competitive programs is we will be marking them up as we go through. So as we're scoring them for their main program, uh, we will be uh, putting in the margins, could be a good student for program X, Y uh, or Z. Um, and then when it gets to the stage that they would ultimately be unsuccessful on their choice of program, uh, we will then um, choose whether to enact an, in an alternative offer. And so they will then have an offer from King's College but from a slightly different program. So that could be they've applied for business management, uh, they've got real interest in French language, French culture, and we offer them a, a place on our French and management program. Obviously, for the student, it's completely up to them whether they take that option. Uh, they may have been offered straight business at other universities, but at, le at least it gives them a different choice. Uh, and, you know, some students, uh, you know, um, take up the offer, others don't. Uh, and, and the really great thing is when students write back to me when they're in their first year and say, oh, my God, I can't believe I nearly ended up studying X because this course is actually everything I always wanted. Um, I just didn't know about it or see it in the prospectus. And, and, and so I think that's not un un uncommon. But I guess my goal, and I, I think this is a change uh, in the admissions office over the last decade or so um, and I and I tell my brand new staff this every every September when we when we have a new new cohort of staff joining the office um, your job is not to be a gatekeeper uh, your job is not to keep people out of this university um, your job is to maximize their chance of studying with us um, you know within the appropriate boundaries of them being good enough to, to, to excel in the course. So your job is to find them a chance to study with us and find them a, an alternative offer if we can't help them out uh, and make them an offer uh, on their, um, on their main, main programme. Fantastic, Paul. That's, that's hugely comprehensive. Um, it's hopefully an insight to those people who, who I say haven't had the opportunity I've had to sit and see these, these processes working through. So thank you for your time. That's great, David. Thanks for yours. Paul's expertise and clarity of thought gives a really interesting insight into this, and I hope all my listeners found his descriptions to be helpful. Every time I'm lucky enough to have the opportunity to speak with Paul or other directors of admissions at British universities, I come away with an increased admiration for how they manage such a complex process and how they keep applicants at the centre of it. That's it for this episode. Please keep an eye open for future episodes 
And indeed, if you have the need of some assistance with university applications to the UK or also the USA, Canada or Europe, please do get in touch via my website, www.hawkinsglobaleducation.com. Thanks for listening.